and we were talking over the big note and I'm like, sorry, we got to rewind. <laughs> we got to hear her to sing it again. <laughs> we would, all would have been fine with a serviceable performance. This is like next level incredible. It's so good. I can't. I love this cast recording. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. I think it is so well done. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Off to Broadway, the podcast where we deep dive into anything and everything musical theater from the comfort of my car. I'm Tara. I'm Stefania. And in today's episode, we are back with another iteration of our composer series, and this time we are talking about Janine Tesori. We've been talking about the, like, that we wanted to dive into her career, I think, on every single other composer series that we've done. It's true. It's true. Uh, just... Anytime I look at her body of work, we're going to focus on six musicals today, but every time I look at her body of work, I am struck by how different and diverse it is, but how you can always hear her in every yeah. single one. So I think it's like a really interesting body to look at. Totally. So before we dive into these musicals, let's talk a bit about Janine in general. She is like a woman of many talents, it seems. And um, I was reading a few articles and she, I feel like as have many of the composers in our series, like didn't start off in the music biz. She was pre-med and then dropped out and changed her major to music. So... Changing my major. I can't sing the song. She's changing her major. (laughs) Yep. Um, Also, again, as we always say, our most reliable source, Wikipedia, who gives us all of this information. But Janine is one of the most prolific and honored female theatrical composers in history with five Broadway musicals and five Tony nominations. Um, We will get to that later when we talk about each of the musicals because there is one that she won for. Um... But yeah, I think like Janine's career is so interesting because she started off as an arranger for dance music for How to Succeed Revival in 1995, but she didn't write her first musical until Violet, and she was 31 when she did that. So, you know, she wasn't like a musical prodigy like some of the other people that we've discussed. It took like a little bit of time to get there, but then she got there and now she does like so many different things. And most recently being like vocal coach on Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, like that one blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, I did know that, but it makes sense because Tony Kushner, I believe, wrote the new adapted screenplay for the new mm-hmm. West Side Story movie. And they obviously collabed on Carolina Change. So... Um, she has great relationships with so many of the people she's worked with. And there's a few names that will come up multiple times as we kind of go through the musicals and, and see her collaborators. Yeah. So I did a bit of like research on her in general and saw that she does not listen to any cast recordings. She likes to write them, but she never listens to them, which I think is so interesting. And also kind of relevant to her like us talking about about her in general because we I mean I think that her style of music is very different for every musical but as you said like there is sort of a little bit of a through line um but she also doesn't write lyrics very often and I think one of her most recent ventures is like into the opera world as well so like I said woman of many talents and yeah, I just think it's it's she's an interesting person to talk about. Also, our first female on this composer series, and I hope that there are more to come um, as you know more musicals are made uh, <laughs> down the line. But she's a good one to jump into. So, should we start at the very beginning with Violet? 
So Violet opened off-Broadway in 1997, but it didn't actually have its Broadway run until 2014. So 17 years later, it made it to the big stage. I... I, I like Violet because it's kind of a smaller musical. It's an intimate musical. So I don't, like, did it need the Broadway run? I don't know. But, like, I love that it got to have get to be a Broadway show. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the Broadway cast recording that I listened to a lot and that I had heard before um, we, do- we dove into researching for this. The song I knew was On My Way because that's what they performed at the Tony Awards. Promises that can't go wrong as I travel So it was my introduction. What about you? Mm-hmm. So I knew of Violet because I feel like I was in New York one year and saw that poster of like the purple train. It's a train, right? I'm pretty it's a bus. sure on that. Like, I believe it's a bus. Bus. Yes. It's like a, a dark purple background with like a white sort of bus. And I was like, what is this show? But I had never heard any of the music until again, that uh, 2014 Tony performance. And I didn't dive into that cast recording until looking into Janine Tesori for this episode. Um, But in 2014, Violet was nominated for four Tony Awards. It did not win anything. But what I thought was really interesting, as I said, Violet, the first um, thing that Janine wrote, uh, composed. She was also a music arranger and she was an associate conductor on the Broadway production Secret Garden and Tommy. So she said on Violet that she was never going to leave the pit and she was so proud of her job and felt like she needed something else. And the only way for her to do that was to leave. And then she left, I guess, New York for a year, came back and um, Brian Crawley, who's the lyricist and book writer of Violet, um, they worked on this together via fax, which which I love. Like, <laughs> wow, that dates it, doesn't it? Yeah. And then, like, story goes from there. So I think it's like super interesting. Also, another person that is in many of uh, Janine's. Well, I'm not gonna say like her shows, but she is a Janine Tesori vocalist, basically. Sutton Foster, obviously, um, lead character in this musical. In the revival. In the revival. In the revival, yeah. And it's based on a short story of The Ugly Pilgrim. I have not read this, but I will say if you don't know the story and you listen to the cast recording, I think it is a little confusing. So I would recommend to like read a synopsis or sometimes what we like to do is while we're going through a cast recording, you like read the plot, um, like act one, act two, to see where we are in terms of the songs. I will disagree. I don't think it's that hard to follow. Um, this one? I was like, what is going on I don't here? Think it's that hard to follow. <laughs> I don't, like, do I know every intricacy of the plot? But no, I, I don't think this cast recording is that hard to follow. It's a very complete cast recording because it's a 90 minute mm. show. And this cast recording is like an hour and 25 minutes. So you get basically the entire thing. Um, there's just, a lot of songs though on it there's a lot of songs and a lot of like dialogue interludes uh, between songs so it does if you're paying attention if you're focusing I think you can get it yeah um, which um, most of the time I'm like not focusing hard on cast recordings and also something that we talked about the other day was that because she didn't write the lyrics like Maybe that's why I wasn't focusing on the storyline because I'm trying to hear the background music, knowing that Janine did that instead of the lyrics. It's but, true when you're yeah. intentionally listening 
for a specific thing. So trying to hear the music versus just the lyrics or trying to hear how the melody is playing off of the orchestrations and the arrangements. Uh, it is a different experience than just kind of letting it wash over you. So yeah, the, the focus yeah. is different. So this story takes place um, in Oklahoma, I believe, but also potentially North Carolina. And like both of them, I think it takes she place She takes in. the bus from North Carolina to Oklahoma in 1964 to uh, be healed. She has a scar on, a, on her face that she got as a teenager. And she's trying to find this preacher to heal her mm-hmm. um, because her entire life has been affected by this disfigurement. And I think the style of music is, in my opinion, not like super musical theatery. It's very almost like country theater. I feel like could relate this to like an Oklahoma or like the Bridges of Madison County, like that kind of style of music with like guitar, where it's, you're not looking at like a big orchestra, like grand sounding in this cast recording. It was very bluesy to me. A lot of it felt like blues music and. Uh, that makes sense because they're passing like they're on the bus so they're passing through these different states i don't know american geography i don't know exactly where they're passing through Um, but they're passing through from whatever is between north carolina to oklahoma and it reflects the music of the area that they're in because Mm -hmm. it also reflects the characters that are taking this bus who are not you know uh city people they are people who come from these places so the music reflects the music that the people would listen to yeah so um speaking of those characters this has a great cast um in this revival um i was listening to this cast recording and the song let it sing just like stuck out to me to him like oh i know this voice who's singing this he sounds so amazing josh henry and i feel like i should stop questioning this because anytime i am like beside myself with someone's voice it's probably josh henry um so good and then like same sort of feeling uh for the song last time i came to memphis colin donnell who i think has such a recognizable voice but yeah, it's funny when you like listen to a cast recording that you've never heard before and can just pick and choose, like pick out those actors because those voices I hear all the time. Yeah, I every person on this cast recording is gorgeous. Um, yeah, the original cast is like Michael Park and Michael McElroy. Oh. So it's and Lauren Ward as Violet, who will come up again later because she was in the recent West End of Carolina Change. So another uh, multiple Tesori musical for her. Um, yes. But yeah, these these cast recording or these voices on the cast recording like elevate the music so much. It's great. And then on top of that, um, the performances are so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, are we ready to move on to our next musical? Yes, we can move on to her Broadway debut of composing music, which is Thoroughly Modern Millie. Um, this is an interesting project because it's based on a movie. And so... Her and her collaborator on this, Dick Scanlon, wrote 11 of the songs, um, and they used other music from other places for the rest of the music. Do you want to give, like, a brief, brief synopsis? Oh, my God. Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Millie, um, another musical where we start off with Sutton getting on a bus and going somewhere else. But Millie moves to New York City, uh, the place where dreams are made of. And she um, gets her, she's mugged immediately once she gets there. And she she goes to stay at a hotel uh, for single women. And as she's trying to find a job where she can marry her rich boss in order to make money, she kind of stumbles into a um, white slavery ring um, and chaos ensues. This is a controversial uh, plot, as you said, based on the movie. There was supposed to be a 2020 uh, revival, Encore's revival, starring Ashley Park, um, with rewrites and a revamp by Lauren Yee. And... Um, yeah, so the, I guess like without, I can't speak on the controversy because I've uh, never seen the show, never seen the movie, but from what we gather, um, it is quite offensive to the Asian community and, um, there's many stereotypes throughout the show. When we were just watching like clips from it, I'm like 2002 was not that long ago. So I'm surprised that a lot of this stuff went as is, but I guess no one wanted to change the source material then. So I think it's an interesting discussion because the character is her name is miss mrs mears and she is a white woman posing as an asian woman to lead this white slavery ring and that of course is offensive but she's also the villain of the show so she's not our hero no one is Mm -hmm. saying what she's doing is right and i think that that's kind of where they get away with it it's like well she's obviously doing something bad so we're not condoning the behavior. We're not saying you should do this, but it is, I I don't know. It just feels very uncomfortable and awkward and just something that it doesn't feel necessary to do at all. It's very, it's very weird. It's, it's just a super uncomfy, uncomfy plot point. And I don't know if we can get around that in doing this musical. And I would have been curious to see what they did in 2020. Hopefully we'll get it eventually, but it's just very weird. Yeah, and I do think that if this show would ever actually be revived um, on Broadway or whatever it might be, like it does need those rewrites or they shouldn't even go forward with it at all. So yeah, it would have been interesting to see that. Also interesting to note that um, we had said this on our Jimmy episode, there was like five Millies in a row um, performing the medleys. But it is banned in some schools because of how um, offensive the show uh, plotline is. So... Putting that aside. Also, because the Asian characters are so stereotyped. If they had done more work into, there are like some Asian, uh, uh, there are two Chinese characters, Chinese male immigrants who are very, very stereotyped, even though they kind of end up being a bit of the heroes of the story. And I think if more focus was put on them, there would not be as much of an issue, but they're such a side accessory to the main story that it all feels uncomfortable. But yes, go on to what we like about it. (laughs) (laughs) Putting that all aside, plot and everything aside. Obviously, Sutton Foster gives like an incredible, incredible performance as Millie. Um, if anyone has like followed the Jonathan Groff Sutton Foster friendship, this is like where he professed his love of like seeing this show so many times. I believe he like, well, also Anything Goes, another problematic um, musical, but. Wow, another one with uncomfortable Asian character. Well, not yes. even, they're impersonating. Yes, they are. Yeah, oh, I forgot about that. Wow. Sutton, Sutton, maybe you should choose your scripts <laughs> <Make> better. <choices. laughs> um, but yeah, so 
uh, when this came out, it was part of the 2002 Tony Awards, nominated for 10 awards, winning six, including Best Musical that year. Um, also, someone that we love in this cast, Gavin Creel, maybe in his best performance mm-hmm. ever? Vocally? On yeah. For, um, yeah. I Turn the Corner. Slash falling Just in every, love with someone. Yes. That Everything whole... he's doing with his voice is so great. Turn the corner when I met you, when I met you. Was our encounter planned, destiny's guiding hand, fortune or fate it's grand, the way. Um, I love, so the composition of this musical, it has the DNA of the 20s. It takes place in 1922, and you can see that on stage. Everyone's costume, everyone's style, the bob she's got. But in the music, it's all there so well. And something like Forget About the Boy, the way that they're the music is arranged and composed for the dancing elements is so wonderful. It's fantastic. This is also, I think, in comparison to the other shows that we will speak on um, that Janine mm-hmm. did, the most musical theater-esque of a score, Mm -hmm. you know, huge orchestrations. You've got, like, drums and horns and, like, string section. The overture is stunning. It is so good. Yeah, but as you said, like, sort of appeals to that time period of the 1920s. It is your, like, classic, classic musical theater um, kind of a score, which I love. I love a big orchestra. And to... Um, I guess like hear that in a 2000 setting is so great. So yeah, I do hope that there is a way to like properly revive this show to get people the to maybe hear gorgeous. this cast recording. Exactly. Yeah. I think I think this musical is so important in Janine Tesori's kind of body of work because she wrote this classic kind of to the book score that yeah. then she gets to deconstruct musicals kind of in the next, you know, the next four projects we're going to walk, we're going to talk about have musical theater scores that uh, break the form instead of in this way where she was like, I think, sticking to the form so, so rigidly in a great mm-hmm. way. Um, yeah, so totally. I, I love that she's able to do this and then kind of take what she learned from here and pull it out and do it in different ways. I don't know. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite song from Thoroughly Modern Millie? Oh. I mean, like, Gimme Gimme, right? It has to be the song. It's the song. Aphrodite, don't forget me. Romeo and Juliet, me fly dog. Sing, Sparrow, every fat boy's famous arrow. Gimme, gimme that thing. It's true. The red dress she's wearing during it, amazing. Um, we were watching it earlier as we like getting ready to to record today, and we were talking over the big note. And I'm like, sorry, we gotta rewind. <laughs> we gotta hear it for just a second. On again. like, <laughs> it was like Sutton performing on uh, Rosie, Rosie, on Rosie. And, 
in like 2002, whatever, yeah. and looks great, sounds in- like the way that she sounds for this yeah. television performance. I can only imagine what it must have been like to sit live in an audience and watch her like do that every and, night. And this was her star making performance. Everyone's heard the scandal of her replacing Aaron Dilly in the lead, um, kind of in the middle of the in the middle of the out of town and then bringing it to Broadway. Um, so really her star making performance. Something I thought about also listening to this cast recording, there's so much tap on this cast recording. Yes. So much tapping. And it's another instrument in the music. And someone answered this question for me, if you're listening, if anyone's listening, <laughs> answer this question for me. Would a composer, an orchestrator, arranger um, account for the tap sounds as well? Would they work with a choreographer to make those sounds work with the music? Like a tap choreographer already... Um, knows how to add those sounds to make it make sense with the music. That's what a great tap choreographer does. It adds um, something with the taps that'll enhance the music. But I want to know what the process is for collaboration between the person who wrote the music and the choreographer to make those tap sounds part of the music. So that's well, my question. Someone answer me. <laughs> well, I mean, the most prevalent scene is that, um, like, job inter The speed scene? test. And the speed test where yes. the sounds of the typewriter are made by no. Sutton and the other guys. They're tapping, which is, yes. like, it's so good. It's genius. It's so smart. You can also see her, like, obviously with the typewriter, you know, you have to mm-hmm. slide it to the end. And she slides mm-hmm. her foot across mm-hmm. the stage to get back to the start. It's, like, really smart. I also want to know, in the same, like, line of your question... When you're doing a cast recording, do you have mics on the floor for the tappers? You have to, right? Yes, I've seen I've seen them do it. I've watched videos of it. Um, they'll kind of like pick people. Like I don't think yes, everyone does best. it, but they'll pick people and they'll have um, a, like a board in the studio and they'll just do the tap sounds and isolate them with a mic on the floor. Um, speaking kind of like semi from experience, um, a lot of theaters, if you're doing tap, will have tap mics that are taped to the floor to enhance the tap sounds so everyone can hear them. Because as loud as you're being, um, if there's a thousand plus people in the theater, yeah, it's not that loud. No. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> um, so there are a lot of times tap mics uh, on the stage to enhance that sound. Um, it does get hard because it captures lots of things, but... Uh, yeah, so yes, I, they do record it separately and they bring their tap shoes into the... That's amazing. The, also, I love it. Sutton is a great tapper. And yes. I feel like we're actually... Her tap skills will be put to use again when she gets into <laughs> the Music back. Man. They're coming in, back. Um, well, Shrek, for sure. But also um, Music Man when That's it true. opens on Broadway. Like She's going to have to use her tap skills there too. Like, um, okay. okay. Let's Moving jump. on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We are jumping in time now to uh, Janine Tesori's next project, which is Carolina Change. Um, we just saw this. I guess it's one not of the, just. It's well, almost two years ago now. Um, it was one of the last shows that we saw um, at the Winter Garden. It was mm-hmm. a musical stage company and. Obsidian? Obsidian Theater, yeah. Yes. Collaborating. Um, with uh, Julie Black and Vanessa Sears. It was a great production. We both really didn't know much about Carolina no. Chase before walking in. And I will say, any Canadians out there, I'm sorry, but there's no cast recording online for us to listen to. So This was rude, honestly. <laughs> like, the amount of Googling, why can't we find Carolina Change? 
Not on Spotify, not on Apple Music, not on YouTube. So we don't have very many um, musical clips to uh, reference, unfortunately. And it has been almost two years since we saw this show. So my memory of the songs is not as... I was watching like um, every clip I could find because (laughs) I don't know how I never realized we did not have access to this music. Um, well, I thought wild. I said to you the other day because it was uh, recently revived in the West End before this Broadway um, revival, and I was under the impression that they might have recorded in the West End. Definitely did not, and now I don't even know if they'll be able to do a revival Broadway cast recording because it's a limited run. So they I might don't know. still. It's a roundabout, so yeah, we'll um, see. Just to talk about that production, one of the reasons we were talking about Janine Tesori is because at time of release of this episode, Carolina Change just reopened on Broadway at Studio 54. As I said, it is a limited run. Um, Previous started early October, and it is going until January 9th. Now, early um, reviews on these previews is that this show is like out of this world good and I mean we really enjoyed it when we saw it but I do think that um Sharon D Clark who is the lead of this show is Mm -hmm. someone to the West End transfer won the Olivier is coming over with the show yeah we Um, briefly touched on this in our way too early Tony nominations when it was way way too early and (laughs) um I do think before we actually talk about the show it is kind of interesting to talk about here we are at a way, way too early 2021-2022 Tony Awards. Um, the Best Actress category is so stacked this year. It's insane. And also the Revival category is, I feel like, one that hasn't happened in vi- in a very long time. We've got Carolina Change. We've got Company. We've got The Music Man. And we have Funny Girl right now. Wow. Are we missing something? Right. I Well, like, there's there's a we have no idea the eligibility, we have no idea the rules, but there are talks, although I don't think it's gonna happen. Like West Side Story could be considered, but I do not think that they'll right. include them. Yeah, that's but a great if question. It was, I don't know. The five of those shows <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know what's going on with West Side Story, what they'll will it be like February twentieth on? I don't know. Great question. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um <laughs> Um, but yes, it is a fantastic revival category this year. And it's such a variety because when you talk about company from the 70s, Funny Girl from the 60s, um, and then competing against Carolina Change, which is 2004. So these are very different revivals. And The Music Man. And The Music Man as well, which is also kind of in that earlier era. Um, but also interestingly, Carolina Change takes place in the 60s. So... Uh, it's a it's a really cool category. Calendar yeah. change. And also, before we get into that, um, just to speak on the revival category for a second, two West End transfers in that category with company and Carolina change. Now, not the full Carolina change um, uh, cast. Right. Sharon just, Clark, yes. Making it's the production. Debut. It's the production. Yeah. And then they brought over uh, one actor each, it seems. So yes. company brought over Patty. Who, yeah. <laughs> who's from here anyway, from Toronto, yeah. from uh, from New York anyway. And Sh- Carolina Change brought over Sharon D. Clark, and yes. the rest of the cast is new. Um, yeah. It's 
I I love it. I love it when it's a competitive season. I love it when it's an exciting well, time. Yes, and that best actress category again. Like we have no idea the rest of the shows, but just speaking on those revivals alone, we've got Sharon D. Clark, Sutton Foster, Beanie Feldstein, like and Katrina Lang. Katrina Lang. Like, that, what? Like yeah. crazy, crazy. Yeah. So it's too good. it is. Um, it's so exciting because I feel like we were. Um, let down by this year's Tony Awards of only three musicals. So the fact that we have so many revivals um, to look forward to is really exciting. But yes, to talk about Carolina Change, as you said, um, 2004 was when this premiered on Broadway, nominated for six Tony Awards and one win for Anika Noni Rose playing Emmy. And it won um, at the 2007 Olivier's Best Musical. And then in 2019, as you said, Sharon D. Clark won Best Actress for the revival of Carolina Change. Um, in the Broadway uh, revival, you know, we've also got Casey Levy. Um, we have Sammy Williams in that cast, our bestie John Cariani. So, like, it's a really good round out cast. I've never seen a show in Studio 54, but from the photos that I've seen from like the uh, curtain calls, it looks like a great place for this type of um, I mean, musical. the energy, the energy of Studio 54. I don't know if that quite matches the energy of Carolina no. Jane, but <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, uh, if anyone's ever seen the documentary show business, The Road to Broadway, which is about the 2004 Broadway season, um, it's just like the full thing is on YouTube. I would highly recommend Boy George is iconic in it. Um, <laughs> so it focuses on four musicals that opened in the 2003-2004 season um avenue q wicked taboo or they always say taboo i don't know why it's taboo guys (laughs) (laughs) i was like taboo taboo i was like why are you saying like that and the final one is carolina change and those are four extremely different musicals and it kind of begins in the summer which is when avenue q opened and it goes all the way to the tonys um and the stuff about Carolina Change is really good. And you talk, you talk to Tony, Tony Kushner, who it was his story idea that Carolina Change is based on. And he wrote the book and the lyrics and he brought on Janine Tesori to write the music. And that collaboration is one talking about Janine just working with amazing playwrights every time she yeah. she does her work. You know, we'll talk about her book writer for Shrek there um, because the... So it's always, the story is always so strong and the book is always so strong in these musicals, but Carolina Change specifically, I would highly recommend watching this documentary because the stuff about Carolina Change is great, but the whole thing, the inside Broadway of it, they talk about the reviews of each show. Michael Riedel is always there. Um, <laughs> it's it's just really good. It's really good. But um, yeah, seeing the Carolina Change stuff is why I rewatched it recently. Um, and something someone said in that documentary was really interesting. Sometimes everyone has agreed to lose a little money so that this very good thing can be seen. And in talking about Carolina Change, because I think they understood that it was not a very commercial thing. You know, juxtaposed with something like Wicked, which got uh, mixed reviews. All the critics in this documentary were like, yeah, I didn't like it. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. But had this huge, it was very commercial, had this huge groundswell of support versus something like Carolina Change that they all really liked, but mm-hmm. they're not getting the kind of audiences that are needed to sustain a show on Broadway was yeah. such a good contrast to have in this documentary. Also versus something like Taboo, which had no one going to see it. Absolutely <laughs> yes, nobody. Exactly. Um, to give a brief uh, synopsis of Carolina Change, it follows uh, Caroline, who is our main character. Um, she is a black woman who is working as a maid for a Jewish family in, as we said, 1963, Louisiana, during the Civil Rights Movement, uh, Transforming America. So as you can imagine, this is a 
great time to bring this musical back. It is so relevant to today. But even when we saw it in early 2020, we were like, this feels like it was written not that long ago, even though it was, again, 2004, but story 1960s. Um, There are many themes that are still happening today. So to um, have this back on Broadway in a time when, you know, the industry is really uh, looking at, well, hopefully looking at changing some of their ways. And, you know, we have many Broadway actors fighting for change and for equity and diversity in casting. So I think it is super important that the show is back on stage. And as I said, with the uh, award season and everything, to have it be recognized potentially uh, during this time is really important. But I do think something that we noticed when we saw this was that the style of music throughout is so different. It's not just like you know, a Janine Tesori Violet versus a Carolina Change. They're two different sounding cast recordings. That makes sense because it's two different shows. Carolina Change has like different styles throughout the entire show. There's a moment of like opera in it. I the think moon, specifically. The moon. Maybe the just because we exactly. saw an opera singer play the moon, but yes, yes also. <laughs> Um, And then I think about like Caroline's like radio, her internal Mm -hmm. radio and the one performance, the Good Morning America performance from this Broadway revival um, Mm -hmm. that is out is Salty Teardrops. Those three women playing those characters have such phenomenal voices. Amazing. And just, yeah, to hear those like radio sounds um, so cool. And I also think about, I don't know if this happens everywhere, but when we saw it at the Winter Garden, she goes down to the basement and it was a, like the floor the, of the stage. Like they the had apron, taken out the ap- seats. The apron of the stage was like a level lower to represent the basement. So when she went to the basement, she stepped and walked down. And that's the yeah. only production we've ever seen. So I don't know if they do it differently in other places. But yeah. That was kind of a great symbolism to like show her going lower and lower. Um, Mm -hmm. And when, uh, what's his name, Noah goes down, he there's somewhere for the actors to go. Um, The structure is great because I love that you have Caroline, who's a very internal character. She is not very emotionally expressive. She's very stoic. She's just going, doing her job, earning her money to get through her life and she's very isolated and so the only friends she has are the radio the washing machine the moon and they are they are creating music around her um and they're creating music in these different styles and sounds beautiful but when you hear her singing and her monologue it's much simpler until you get right to the end where she sings like lot's wife which is kind of the showstopper of the of the show Another performance we are blessed to have on YouTube, Sharon Clark's Olivier performance of Lot's Wife. Like, stop what you're doing and go listen to that vocal performance because Mm -hmm. it is incredible. It's so good.
I also think just thinking of the music in general, when we saw it, remember the band was like right next to us in the balcony area. It yeah, was so yeah. cool to hear, you know, like shakers being used <laughs> and the drums beside us and like the different styles of piano. So I think like we were really lucky in that sense to be able to hear the actual like composition so close to us while we were sitting watching this show. Yes, I it was such a wonderful experience uh, seeing it at the Winter Garden, having the band. I love when they put the band in a visible place because I yeah. spent half the show <laughs> watching them. I like I love to watch the music be created. And um, I love it was I think it was the first thing we saw in 2020. Um, it be one of the last things, but it was the yeah. first thing <laughs> in 2020 and going into a show that um, was so fresh and new to us and kind of just allowing ourselves to experience it without a lot of backstory um, was great. And even we talked, we got to talk to Vanessa Sears who played Emmy in the Toronto production last summer and talking to her Dora about award winning performance, Dora award winning performance by Vanessa yes. Sears, talking to her about the character of Emmy in relation to what's going on in the world's now or what's always been going on but the way it pro- this show felt less relevant in 2004 than it does right seven 16 or 17 years later um is fascinating and amazing that you can write a piece of art and it only becomes more and more relevant with time I do want to touch on what you were saying with uh, Janine working with playwrights. Um, she herself has said in an interview that the reason that she doesn't like lyrics is because she thinks she is just an average person, very mediocre, and would like someone else to who is a master of that work um, to give her the words to be able for herself to write that music too. And obviously on this show, Tony Kushner, like... He is one of the best of the best. You know, she's also working with like Pulitzer Prize winning people here. So it Mm -hmm. is interesting, um, the people that she surrounds herself with. And I would love to know the process of how they work together. Like the the lyric writer and the composer. Um, Like, is she given their text first? Is it like a happy balance between the two of them? That would be really interesting uh, to me to hear that side of it. There's a little bit of it in show business, the Road to Broadway documentary. Highly ah, recommend. Highly recommend. Wow. That's um, great. I was trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say about this one. Um, oh, another song I like, just to like highlight. Um, I hate the bus that Emmy sings. Um, just talking about her like position in life. I thought that was really wonderful. And just I was watching like whatever YouTube videos were available and that was one of them. So it was really great. And Mm -hmm. something, I don't even know if we'll be able to get a clip of it, but something that I remember vividly from seeing it was that act one finale when I think we have like all the kids. Is it all four kids? Mm -hmm. Like Caroline's kids and Noah dancing together and performing. Um, Like a vivid, vivid moment um, Mm -hmm. in my memory. Um, it's it's also kind of interesting to me in thinking about like the plot um, holes of Millie and how uh, stereotypical it is and borderline offensive. And then you think about a show like Carolina Change, which I think is the complete opposite. Even the scenes surrounding, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but Casey Levy is playing uh, Noah's parents, right? It's Noah's yeah, his parents, mom I and his stepmom. His his stepmom, his, sorry. Um, the yes. character's name is Rose Gelman. Right. So um, looking at a Jewish family and looking at their traditions, you know, there's a, a Hanukkah song that they sing. It felt very researched and 
I love that. And I guess that is, again, speaking on like relevance and making like, sure that it's correct for the time period. Tony Kushner based it on his own family, about right. his own family who employed a black maid. And so I think he drew from his own personal experiences growing up in a Jewish family. Mm-hmm. And um, but I completely agree. It does not at all feel racial stereotyped. I feel because you get to spend a lot of time with these yes. characters and it's yes. not just uh accessories to the main story it is right this it is the story these, these two families who are going through life through this time of extreme social change mm-hmm. um but they are not really part of the social change they are just existing through it they are mm-hmm. like a snapshot of people trying to live their lives and do their best in this time where these crazy things are happening. We watch them find out that JFK has been assassinated and these civil rights protests are happening. And these families are just going to work and continuing to celebrate Hanukkah and, and yeah. live their lives. It's it's I it's wonderful. Um, I was reading reviews and a lot of the reviewers called it a little bit cold, which mm-hmm. I find interesting. And I don't mm-hmm. necessarily disagree but I don't know if that's necessarily bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. Cold, I feel like, is... You you would associate it with being bad, but I'm not sure that it is in this case. Caroline is... I find her just a very, like, stoic character. Her daughter is going to protest. She's the one who pulled down the Confederate statue. But Which, again, so relevant to today. Yeah, Look crazy. what's happening even in Toronto, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. happening everywhere. And Caroline is just like, I can't get involved. I just have to go to work to make money. I, this is, I get what you're doing, but I also just, I just want to make it through the day. And mm-hmm. and I think like that's like that maybe coldness or that like numbness to what's happening around her is her survival. Right, exactly. So um, as I said, if you are in the New York area and would love to go and see Carolina Change, it is, again, a limited run. It is ending in January. So go see it um, if you can. And yeah, I'm interested to read those opening night um, reviews. And, um, you know, we'll be talking about this again in probably February when we do our Way Too Early Tony nomination. So look yeah. out for that as well. Now let's hop in time all the way to <laughs> 2008, nine. Um, and, you know, we talked about this show on uh, our episode where we looked at the 2009 Tony Awards. And of course, we were talking about Shrek the Musical. What a now job. When, <laughs> what a job. Now, when you think of you know, Violet, you think of Millie, then you think of Caroline or Change, and then you're like, Janine, what were you doing working on Shrek? <laughs> but this woman also worked on Shrek the Third, the movie, so, like, she is no stranger to... She has the relationship. She has the, the DreamWorks world. Yes, exactly. Um, um, I love this cast recording. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. I think Shrek- it is so well done and we have said this on uh in person and we said this on our episode where we talked about it like brian darcy james you are too good for this cast recording but we appreciate it so much and also welcome back sutton foster <laughs> to the janine tesori family <laughs> look every, here's the thing when you're a good actor you're a good actor no matter what you do and when you're a good actor you and you are playing shrek oh he did what he came here to do, okay? He did more what he to do than he needed to do. I would have I think we would all would have been fine with a serviceable performance. This is like next level incredible. It's emotional. And I put yes. down my helmet. <laughs> okay, this cast recording is great. Um 
so the full filmed version is available on Netflix. I've watched yes. it. Go um, watch it. Everyone should watch it. <laughs> I I do think the cast recording is better than the filmed version. Yes. I think the like staging and production lets it down a little bit. Um, but um, really, really great songs. <laughs> really, really yes. great songs. Um, and something else we were talking about, even in our last episode that we did, was the way that it is a bit of a send-up of musical theater in general. Mm-hmm. And listening to this cast recording this time, I found another reference. And I believe it was Don't Let Me Go, which is the donkey singing. And it is I'll Cover You. It just yes, is that a song. A one-sided I'll Cover You. A one-sided you. I'll Cover You. <laughs> He's trying to like come back and forth, and the donkey is just coming, and Shrek is not coming back. Um, yeah, so every time I listen to it, I hear new things that Janine, the orchestrators, everyone put into this musical, and mm-hmm. I love it. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. responding i mean i would say out of every score that we're talking about here this is the most pop musical theater it is very like 2000 sounding but again brings in those like great musical theater references as we said on our uh, other episode what an amazing cast like chris sieber is here sutton as i said brian darcy james is here it's just like such a good um i think it's just such a good cast recording like i really do think it is up there with like a really great masterful cast recording it is orchestrated so well it is also mixed so well each song flows like really nicely into each other um i had obviously listened to this cast recording fully i mean i had seen the netflix a couple times uh, a few years ago and then listened to the cast recording for our episode and then obviously listened to it again this time and as you said like different songs like stand out at you the acting that sutton is doing in dreams come true why for a cast <laughs> recording like it's just so good and then obviously my favorite song in this show who i'd be as um i don't know if we said it on our episode but the intro of that song is bring him home from lame is like it did. just yeah. is um but that song like brian darcy james is so good the best part of that song is when the three of them all come in together to do the big like overlap of all of the other like references in the musical i am obsessed with that song i love it so much a classic a classic act one finale where you bring all the songs we've sung before and we overlap (laughs) them classic um it's great an ogre always stays in the dark you're all I know it's today. Yeah. Um, something else, like morning person that Sutton does at the beginning of Act One, that the Princess tap. Fiona, the tap, another one where it's all tapping. And I'm like, was that conceived while the music was being written? Did they know that the additional instrument would be tap shoes? Right. I need to know. 
I mean, you want to talk about the lyricist, right? And book writer. Yeah, so the lyricist and book writer is David Lindsay Abair. I'm like, oh, what else has he done? Anyway, he wrote the play Rabbit Hole, which is an extremely devastating and depressing play about (laughs) um, a family who has lost their toddler son um, in a car accident, or he was hit by a car. And And I just, and I'm like, what is he doing writing Shrek? And I, that's, that's a dumb question, I think, to ask. It's like, why wouldn't he be writing Shrek? Why wouldn't you want someone who is clearly, um, like, so talented and has such a grasp of storytelling and is a Pulitzer Prize winner for this play to be telling this story? Um, this sounds like I'm making fun of Shrek. I'm not. I think we should always have talented people writing musicals. Yes, I agree. Like, I mean, I think of SpongeBob, right? Look at all of those um, writers on that. You know, you've got like some of the best of the best in the music industry writing on the SpongeBob, the musical cast record. Like, why? Why are they there? But why not? It's something like to challenge you in a totally different way. This is a really fun, maybe like escape from something super serious that you are, you've been working on. I agree. Like, not to put down Shrek. Obviously, we did not give a synopsis of the show because like, go watch it's that Shrek. movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to... I talked about the Tony uh, nominations, as we said in our previous episode, nominated for eight, which again, when you think about that, is a lot for this um, musical. But like acting wise, as I said, you've got some like heavy hitter actors up there and they were doing the most and I appreciate it. Everyone is just coming and giving their full full commitment and that includes Janine Tesori, who is writing a wonderful musical theater score and is taking all these references from these other musicals and putting it in this musical Shrek. And I think I talked about it last time in the way that Shrek is a parody, is a send up of fairy tales. Shrek the musical is a send up, a love letter, a a, a parody of musicals. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a wonderful structure to use. And I think it really, really works. Um, some things don't work, but that is something that I think really, really works. I also think that um, Janine pays homage to the movie. Like, she gets the ins and outs of the sounds of Shrek and Donkey Mm -hmm. and Fiona and, you know, like, the tower that she's in. Any of those songs could fit into that animated movie and turn it into a musical. What's the Duloc song? Oh, um... I I use Christopher Sieber with his, like, little legs. (laughs) Well, it features that, like... Like from the movie, right? Yeah. Um, but then it gets, it, the it expands, called? it gets bigger. I can't remember what it's called either. It's I think it's like me. Welcome to Duloc. Is it is not? It What's up, Duloc? What's up, Duloc? Does that sound Yes, right? it's What's up, Duloc. But like, I can't remember off the top of my head how it goes right now. Um, but it starts off like that and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's um, so So good. many things, so many things just bring me joy from this cast recording. Um, We're about to completely switch tone once again when we talk about our next Janine Tesori musical. And here we are at the one show that she won for best original score. And that is Fun Home. Um, I saw this on Broadway like a month after it won uh, in the 2015 Tony Awards. Um, Fun Home nominated for 12 one five made history as the first female writing team to do that which is crazy that it's 2015 when that happened um but yeah i i love this cast recording i think it is 
so well done. And what I was saying to you before we came on here is the style that Janine chose to do for um, for Allison's caption writing. There's like a horn theme that goes through and then she says caption and then we hear everything. Um, for people that have not seen Fun Home, it is based on um, Alison Bechtel's 2006 graphic memoir of the same name. It's basically um, Allison's uh, discovery of her sexuality and also her relationship with her gay father. And it's Her not, gay closeted father. Yes. It's not in order. There are three... Um, Allison's in this show different ages and we jump from time to time and um yeah it's non-linear and it, it, we learn like bits and pieces of the entire family as we go through the show um we saw this what year was that oh what year was it 2018 no. I want to say it was 2018 but like do not quote me on that um <laughs> we can find this out Fun feels like Toronto. many many it. years ago <laughs> I'm Googling it. Fun Home Musical Stage Company. Um, 2018. There you go. 2018. It was uh, an off-Mervish production at the CAA Theater. Um, mm. This is where we were introduced to Evan Buehling giving, I want to say, like, the greatest performance so as good. Um, Loved the dad him. in Fun Home. But also um, Hannah Levinson as young Allison giving mm. such a great performance. We were not, we were not introduced well. to her there. We'd seen her in... As Matilda. Matilda as well. So a, a true star, Hannah Levinson. We were, we were fans walking in. <laughs> yeah, we're like, can't wait to see Hannah Levinson tonight. Yeah. Um, Sarah Farb was in this. Um, yeah. Laura Conlin. It was just a wonderful, wonderful cast. Who was the mom? Was it Cynthia Dale? Did I make this I up? believe it was Cynthia Dale. Uh, like, what a cast. Truly what a cast. Um, I mean, but also thinking about that Broadway cast, you know, like, Michael Service, like, what a voice. What a voice. But then, like, Judy Kuhn as um, the mother. So, yeah. also, what a voice. Like, I know. crazy. This, I think this is widely, maybe I'm making this up, but maybe I think this is widely considered to be kind of Janine Tesori's greatest work. Um, yes. It's, I think the story that they had to work with is really great. And then I think the way that it was musicalized and the way that they used the three Allisons, you have Big Allison kind of never leaving the stage. You can you kind of watch her piece together this graphic novel while she's on stage and you watch her write it. And then you have small Allison um, and medium Allison who are kind of just like figuring out who they are and you watch that journey. Um, the structure is wonderful. There's a video on Broadway.com where it's Jean Tesori and Lisa Crone. It's a 20-minute video. There's one for Violet as well. I can't remember if I said that. But it's a 20-minute video of them just kind of playing through the songs and talking about how they came up with the idea and what moments they decided to musicalize and what moments they didn't decide to musicalize. And how they even, Lisa Crone talking about writing the lyrics for something like Ring of Keys, how she tried to do it in the language of a child mm -hmm. and not make it sound too mature to have it be this like realization moment. Um, great kind of insight into how they put it all together. Um, and talking back to the caption thing, Jenny just already said, you know, you kind of have to spell things out for the audience and you have to tell them like, this is important. Someone's like caption. And she plays that little note, those little series of notes. Yeah. And it's like, it tells the audience the way you're communicating with the audience with just sounds to remember something or to parallel something is wonderful. Caption 
Caption Caption Caption This is quite a long cast recording. I also would argue that this musical might be sung through um just because yeah. even though uh Allison Not is completely but Yes, but even even those moments of just script, a lot of the captions are on the cast recording because, again, mm. as you said, and as I was talking about the little, like, theming that goes with it, so it kind of leads into a song. It's scored. Um, it's all scored. Yes. This was a finalist for the 2014 Pulitzer Prize. Um, it lost to The Flick, also a show that we saw. So mm. I do think, as you said, like, this is maybe her best work. I think... For me, this is my favorite uh, cast recording of all of hers. Um, I said to you yesterday, the last six songs of this musical from um, You Ready to Go for That Drive until Flying Away, which like I could talk about Flying Away for Mm -hmm. hours. Um, It is so devastating but also like masterfully composed and written and I think it is so smart to have these like little teeny songs that are like 40 seconds a minute and then they lead into these like four minute five minute numbers and as I said like Michael Service on especially those last songs like there is not a dry eye in the theater by the end of that musical. And I don't know if we like said this on an episode when we saw it way back, but you, uh, Shar and I saw we, this musical. We were not doing the podcast when we saw this musical. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, so I had seen this first and then we, the three of us went to see it. Um, and then I feel like you turned to me and you were like, this isn't sad. And I was like, Wait. I did. I and then at did. the end, <laughs> like I, tears upon I, tears. I thought I was going to get away with not crying. And I was like, wow, this is shocking for me. Um, and then it just it just poured out of me. That end part where the, you know, it, I, I don't, is it small Allison who's in the car? And then she switches out with uh, big Allison and big Allison gets to have this conversation with her dad. She gets to relive it. Devastating, absolutely devastating. And then when you go flying away, when they're like, I want to play airplane, like dead, dead, can't do it. I feel like cry thinking about this song right now. Like I, the three part harmonies on Flying Mm -hmm. Away is like stunning, stunning music. It is so beautiful to listen to. It is even more beautiful to watch it in front of you play out. I like will never not love that song. Don't let go perfect way to end that musical and it also ends on the captions which feels correct like Mm. I just think that it is as I said like it's a masterful score so obviously this being the only one that she won for original score out of the five Mm. other Tony nominations like it feels right to me Um, I love that it's a female creative team and the captions even like 
they pay homage to the original form of the story, which was a graphic novel, it brings that into, without, you know, cheesy cartoon pains, it brings into this musical that this, the story of her writing this graphic novel, it's, it's so good. I can't. Um, I know. I would be so interested to like pick up that graphic novel, start the cast recording and read it. Through. Just like I follow think it'd be amazing. Wow. Yeah. Maybe we should read it. Um, yeah. I remember that Tony performance because it was Ring of Keys they did. Uh, but I also Sydney remember. Lucas. Amazing. I also remember um, Michael Cerberus like at a keyboard, at a typewriter or something yes. at the Tony performance. Yeah. Um, and uh, who played Big Allison? I can't remember. Um, Beth Malone. She was there too. Beth Malone. Right. So Beth Malone was there too, if I remember. Um I don't know. I just love it. So, yeah. So, Ring of Keys. They also talked about in that YouTube video the writing of Changing My Major. Um, mm-hmm. The way that that's, like, another realization. Small Allison gets to have her Ring of Keys realization, but then Medium Allison gets to have her Changing My Major um, realization and kind of the underscoring of that and, like, the parallels between those songs. Mm-hmm. Great. It was also an interesting Tony Awards that year because there were three actresses nominated uh, from Fun Home in the featured category. Judy Kuhn, mm-hmm. who plays the mother, Sydney mm-hmm. Lucas, who's young Allison, and then Emily Skeggs. Is that how you say mm-hmm. her name? Yeah, Emily Skeggs. Um, as the medium Allison, and then Beth Malone was nominated separately as uh, lead actress in a musical, which mm-hmm. I do think is a correct separation of the she characters. like never leaves the stage no. if i remember correctly because she is yeah. she is kind of disseminating what's happening on stage for the audience she's explaining what's going on for the audience yeah um and then uh michael Cerberus, who won the tony that year mm-hmm. but something that i thought was interesting um just in comparison to broadway to toronto you know this was playing at circle in the square and um we saw it at the caa theater and circle in the square obviously rigged to do like so many cool stage tricks like whatever you want to do can happen in that theater and specifically as i was mentioning in those last six songs when portions of the dad are disappearing they're Mm -hmm. disappearing on stage too there are trap doors that are bringing things down as he is like exiting their lives which is a whole other level of emotion that was a show actually one of the first shows that i ever rushed and Mm. we stood um for that one it was standing room so Again, Circle and Square is such a like small theater that it's great to do that. Um, no bad seats. No bad seats there. No. And then seeing it so intimately at CAA was amazing, too. So. We were so close to the front for some reason. So we always close. buy like second row because it's cheaper. Um. <laughs> there was also a talk back that night, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite question. How do you remember all your lines? The talk <laughs> the Why do they always ask the kids that? They're professionals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. Um, can I talk about my one random thing? This is not yeah. anything to do with Janine Tesori, but in Fun Home, in that last song, in Flying Away, where he's playing, he plays airplane with small Allison. I, maybe it's because I was taking too much acro yoga at the time, but <laughs> I wanted him to like play airplane with like big Allison and like have the parallel, but like and have all of them do it. Yeah. And if I was directing the show, that would be my one addition would Pretty. be to have like Bruce, the dad, and like big Allison or just Allison play airplane at the same time and let them all like have that experience. I think that would be such a good visual. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone like pay me for my input. You um, know, Steph. You can take won, it for free, actually. They won take Best Direction for this musical. So I don't know that they needed to They're know. missing this. Okay. <laughs> They're missing it. It's not that hard. They're missing yeah. this 
moment, okay? Um, before we ha- get to our final Genius Story musical, I do want to just talk about a bit um, the orchestrations in general. Like I said, lots of big brass instruments, which I feel is very mm-hmm. different um, to her other scores. And then just like the tone of um, the song Come to the Phone, Fun Home, which is obviously the kids singing. Yeah. Totally different from the rest of the show. Like completely, completely um, different. That's another song they talked about in that Broadway.com video. Um, the decision to they kind of had to justify the title of the song of the musical Fun Home uh, because that's the title of the graphic novel so they came up with the idea of the kids doing a commercial for the funeral home and the way that the littlest kid they're so cute when they're too cute but (laughs) but the way that um, when you're living in a funeral home, it becomes so commonplace for these weird things to be happening and for death to be surrounding you all the time and the way that that affects your life. And I I love like the juxtaposition of these kids singing this upbeat number around a coffin yeah. um, about it's like... It's the to funeral home, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even, oh my goodness, the song Welcome to Our House on Maple Avenue, where they're describing this house, which is like another character because the dad is always spending time like working on this house Mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful can we talk about sorry not even to go on days and days which the mom sings days and days if there is one song i mean flying away is the one song you should listen Mm. to if you're gonna listen to one but if there is one song where you need to hear the incredible voice of judy kuhn go listen to days and days days and days and days and days and days and days and days She's kind of quiet for a lot of the musical. She doesn't sing a lot. She sings in Welcome to Her House on Maple Avenue until in that moment. Because she was in the 70s, she was very silent about what her husband was doing. She didn't really have a choice but to continue and just live with her marriage and live with her situation. And so for her to like kind of finally open up and explain to Allison and to the audience like what she's been going through and what her life has been is such a powerful moment. So beautiful song worthy of such a wonderful moment. Yes. I also think this uh, show in general, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think it was the first musical to have a lesbian protagonist. Um, So that's also why it was like, I believe, very celebrated at the time and obviously rightfully so. And, you know, after the fact, um, the prom has come out. I think we had talked about this on our previous episode, um, Mm -hmm. but... It was very important to everyone that worked on that show to keep it as true to the real Allison's life as possible. So mm-hmm. I, I like I know they had the graphic novel, but I also feel like she was there when they ex- accepted that Tony Award for best book. So mm-hmm. I do. It's think such a she personal was, like, story. Consulted throughout the entire process. I think I was listening to an interview with Michael Cerveris years ago where he talked about you know meeting Allison and meeting her brothers who are characters in the musical. Yeah, and getting you know, their dad's jacket to wear on stage and getting like pieces of him to put in this musical and to like be a part of his performance. Um, So it sounds like the family and was really happy with how it was all portrayed and 
And I think I think it is it's like a tough story, but it's like a very respectful yes. um, translation of of his life. We are at our final Janine Tesori musical, Woo. which is the most recent. Um, it came out in 2019. Uh, it premiered in Los Angeles and then it had an off Broadway run at the Public Theater and it is soft power. Now, again, speaking in terms of plot, this is kind of like, it's uh, described as a reverse King and I. Instead of exoticizing the Asian countries, soft power exoticizes America. So we look at America from a hypothetical future Chinese musical, which is so interesting that Janine, again, worked on Millie and then worked on this all of these years later to kind of like right her wrongs on that <laughs> on that storyline. Um, this is a great cast recording. It's a really fast listen. And right off the bat, I just need to say that Conrad Ricamora has the most stunning voice. <laughs> like, stunning. Wow. Guys, everyone go listen to sing him sing All of Me on How to Get Away with Murder at his wedding on How to Get Away with Murder. Okay. That's so random. <laughs> he was on How to Get Away with Murder and he married Connor, his character Oliver, married Connor, and he sang All of Me at the wedding reception. Wow. And I also think someone might have been murdered at that wedding reception, but I don't remember I because mean, I may have given up on the show. Makes um, sense. <laughs> Title of the TV show, How to Get Away with Murder. I mean, well, <laughs> someone's always getting murdered on that show. I mean, we'll get like kind of deeper into it, but Conrad Ricamora was in The King and I. Um, mm-hmm. I. What was his character's name? He was like with Tuptim, Tuptim's lover. I can't remember that character's name. I know who you're talking about. Also, he's I've in like three scenes. <laughs> he never, he like, he, he really gets to hang out backstage in that show. Um, so he plays um, that character and then he's the lead character in Soft Power. So it was David Henry Huang's, he, the first 25 minutes of this are just a play, a play about a man who, I don't even know, he goes to this kind of like traumatic event. I believe he gets stabbed. And this is something that's based on something that actually happened to him. And then he does, these characters in this first 25 minutes, this portion, don't know that these events that have happened to them will 50 years in the future become a musical in China. And this musical in China has one of its main characters be Hillary Clinton. And the rest of the characters are played by Asian actors in whiteface playing white characters. It's what a concept. It's true. Um, What a concept. Uh, Also should say that this was a 2020 Pulitzer Prize finalist. It did Mm. lose to A Strange Loop, which is... Also kind of interesting because, like, to me, this feels like two very interesting looks at America through two Mm. completely different lenses. Yes. Yes, it definitely is. I was watching lots of clips of Soft Power yesterday, and the... The song where they're explaining how the election works. uh, Election night is. Election night is. (laughs) So funny. um, You got trouble from the music man. That's what it is. It sounds exactly like that. (laughs) When they're explaining, like, on the Tuesday after the first, after the second Monday, (laughs) or after the second Monday in the month of November, I... I was peeing. I thought it was the funniest thing. Um, and explaining how the electoral college works. And the Conor Ricamore's character is just like, what's going on? When do we vote? When do we vote? On the Tuesday after the first Monday in the month of November. The month of November. On the Tuesday after the first Monday. 
Yes, exactly. Also, um, as you mentioned, Hillary Clinton in this musical, uh, Elise Allen Lewis plays Hillary. Mm -hmm. She's so good. The song Democracy, really, really good. Um, another song that I really love, again, on Conrad Ricamora's stunning, stunning voice, um, Happy Enough. It's just beautiful. It's, like, really good. I I just, I, the, I think the concept of it is fantastic. And then the music, this is what I was talking about with David Henry Huang, he said he was looking for someone, this was his story, his brainchild, he was looking for someone who knew the form of musical theater so well to be able to kind of play around within the form to write this futuristic musical looking on the past from a Chinese lens on America. And he said, Janine Tessari was the first person he thought of. He did not know her. He's just like, this is who I need for this musical. And it ended up being such a wonderful, like, marriage of these voices another great playwright that she's collaborating with to create a wonderful musical this is another incredible incredible overture it has such grand orchestrations which i don't know that they necessarily match the rest of the tone of the songs uh on this cast recording but it does set up uh, that this musical is happening. So I think it's a really smart idea to have such a grand overture to start off um, this kind of style of a show. Yes, because it's kind of the overture is kind of the transition from play to musical moment. Yes. So it's a it's funny because the overture does not happen right when you walk in. It happens a little bit in after you've kind of seen the story that's going to become mythologized into this wild musical mm-hmm. and i i love the kind of like reclaiming of the king and i formula the that musical that from a western lens exoticizes like siam and asian yeah. culture to kind of say well we can do the same to you or we can yeah like when they sing <laughs> about mcdonald's it. like yes it's the it's same thing when she comes out is it, it like on the hamburger yeah, crazy, crazy. Um, and the way that there's the the uh, kind of play within the second act of the King and I, kind of does the similar play or musical yeah. within Soft Power. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you know Janine Tesori wrote this music, taking we've we've discussed her like five five previous musicals that she's written but she's also done movies and she's done uh, arranging and all these things and taking the education from all of those things to use it while writing this which is again a send up a parody uh but also a love letter to theater and to musical theater is like such a wonderful combination of her work mm-hmm. to wrap up these uh, five musicals that we're chatting about in Janine Tesori Six, six musicals. Sorry, six musicals that we're talking about and Janine Tesori in general. I do want to read a quote from the LA Times that says, Millie bounces to the beat of the early 1920s, Violet twangs with bluegrass, Caroline throbs with soul, and Shrek bounds through the top 40 and animated musical catalogs. Soft Power was not out yet when this article was written. <laughs> um, the show sound entirely different but they shared the Tesori hallmarks of the close to the surface emotion structural rigor and rhythmic drive her music is brainy yet immediately accessible and I 100% agree as we said at the start of this episode and kind of all the way through 
These are six completely different cast recordings, yet there is touches of Janine in every single one, and I love it. I also read something that Sutton uh, had said, that she was so excited whenever she would see Janine's name on a musical that she was working on because she knew that she was getting new material, and it didn't matter if she had worked with her previously. It was always going to be something to like challenge her and be new. So I think that for that reason, like she is such an interesting person to look at. I can't wait to see what she's going to do next. Like, maybe she's now a full-time vocal coach. Like, who knows? <laughs> can't wait to see her work in the West Side Story movie. I will blame any time someone sounds bad on her. Um. Yeah. Um, yeah, that wraps up uh, our composer series talking about Janine Tesori. Um, we are obviously going to continue this series. we got to find someone new to talk about. I think If we you have like suggestions there... for us, if you have suggestions yes. for us, like, let us know. St- send us a message on Instagram or Twitter because... And we want to talk about people who people are interested in listening to. Yeah, um, I think we had thrown out uh, Aaron's and Flaherty because they're also people that have like completely different scores. A friend saw Anastasia and Once on This Island the same weekend. I was like, you know, the same people wrote those. And she's like, excuse me? Wild. It's wild. Um, but yeah, I, I love doing this series because it gives us like an excuse to like deep dive into these people's careers. And it's really fun. So yeah, um, that wraps up that portion, and it is now time for our obsession of the week. So my obsession this week is something Tara knows so well because I play it all the time and make her listen to it and dance along to it. And it is a YouTube video of Larry Owens himself singing Perfect by One Direction. <laughs> it's this, guys, this video is everything. I'm truly obsessed with it. I... I really don't even know how I found it. I think I was just listening to things and then it was suggested to me and I was like, sure. I think I was listening to Larry Owens. I was trying to find him like on YouTube. It's on your YouTube mix. We found it on your YouTube mix. (laughs) No, I have a YouTube mix that is based on that video because I've listened to it so many times. But I was like searching Larry Owens singing different Sondheim things because I wanted to just hear him sing. Um, And that came up and I was like, okay, whatever. I'll listen to him. I love his voice. And I don't know if it's the musical arrangement or the way he's kind of playing with the melody or if it's his dancing or if it's just his voice, but it is the definitive version of that song to me right now. I love it. I think it's wonderful. It makes me want to dance. When I hear the song, I just like want to sing his little riffs. I want to do his dance moves. I like a gorgeous voice combined with a, a song that I already enjoyed (laughs) <laughs> uh, just it just brought me so much joy, and I again make Tara listen to it every time we record because it's, it's so the best. good. Yeah, and I want you all to know about it because I do not gatekeep anything. Okay, I want you to know Larry Owens sing perfect is perfect. <laughs>
Um, it was at a like 54 Below Sings yeah. One Direction night, which I don't think anyone expected. Like, I wouldn't have expected Larry to be there because, like, at the time, it was like, Larry is above these things, you know? Like, he is in a strange like, loop. It was probably um, like around strange loop time. I know he was in the comedy scene. He is in the yeah. comedy scene in New York a lot, too. Um, so I would, I, he's just the best. And also, the band behind him is really giving everything in that performance. There, I don't know who it is. I think it's the guy playing the piano who's doing the top harmony. But like, <laughs> he is going for it. It is like, as you said, definitive version. Um, the music arrangement is truly like out yeah. of this world good. And whoever put that together, like, congrats to you. And like, what else are you doing? Because I want to hear it. <laughs> it just feels more like dancier and boppier. Mm-hmm. So good. good. Um, okay, my obsession this week is I go like in and out of phases of like listening to random songs on cast recordings. And for some reason, for this episode, when I was listening to Shrek, it reminded me of another cast recording. And I feel like we've said this before, but something rotten. Um, this is a really great, great cast recording. Um, they're another stacked cast of a musical. And I think there are many amazing songs on this cast recording, but the one that I am talking about today is I Love The Way. I love the way that your words move me so. I love that you feel the same way I do. which is sung by Kate Renders um, of High School Musical, the musical of the series Fame. And obviously, as we spoke on him, John Cariani, there are just like things that she's doing with her voice that are, first of all, she has a stunning voice. Um, Mm -hmm. It is like very, very good. And she's doing these runs that are just like too good. This is another musical that I think that um, the cast is like too good for this show. <laughs> I never saw it. I kind of. I would love for the show to go on tour. I think it would be a really good tour I think show. It did go on tour? I think not here. It never. No, came it didn't here. come here. It didn't come here. No. Not everything comes here, guys. We don't get it all. Um. But like, how do we get on the board of figuring out what shows are are here? The Mervish season is always so interesting. Mervish is who brings in tours, um, and we usually only get two to three tours because. Maybe usually there's like one original production and then there's a lot of like West End or like UK kind of um, transfers transfers, and sometimes a pre-Broadway here and there Um, because they have a really good relationship with people in the UK. So we we exchange a lot of stuff like we got Girl from North Country from there. We're getting some like random World War Two play this year that (laughs) everyone's trying to give away their season's tickets to. No, I'm kidding. I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, (laughs) No, but there it's true. And there was like a few years where there was kind of a competition when like Dan Cap was here and it was mm. like bringing more toured shows. Yeah. Anyway, I want to see this musical because I think that I would love it. Um, I think that the concept is so interesting. And as I listen to more and more, I have listened to it all the way through. Yeah. Um, but as I as it pops up and I like continue to listen to it, I just think it's really good. And um, yeah, I love this song. I also um, want to shout out the song Right Hand Man. Um, Heidi Blickenstaff, like doing some really good things on that on that song. It's just like a really fun, upbeat musical. And I think it would be a blast to see it in person. And I kind of wish that I saw it on Broadway like all of those years ago when it happened. I mean, 
if we're talking about tap incorporated into yeah. <laughs> into a musical, the tap like dual uh, fight that um, it's Shakespeare and I don't even know the other character's name, but it's um, Brian Darcy James and Christian Borel. Wow, Brian Darcy like, James again for God Darcy, that he was in this. <laughs> they're doing like they're talk they're having a fight, but they're also like tapping at the same time amazing fantastic yeah so good it's so good yeah it's such a fun show um so yeah those are our obsessions of the week and also um our composer series on janine tesori as steph said if there are any composers that you would like us to uh chat about please let us know and you can do that by following us on twitter and instagram at off to be way podcast that's with the number two and you can listen to us anywhere podcasts are found, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube, where we'd love it if you would subscribe and leave us a comment. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.